The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. Welcome in the name of Jesus. To all of you who are here, to all of you who are online, to those who are regulars here, to those who are visiting with us today, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. If you are visiting with us today, uh, if you want to take a look at the bulletin, just inside the bulletin at the very top here on the left side is a QR code. If you scan that, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. If you wouldn't mind giving us just a little bit of information, that way we could get to know you um, and be hospitable to you. We love uh, getting to know new people. And so thank you for being with us this morning. Here at the Springs, as Leah said earlier, we are a church that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that in three ways. We gather, like we do today, in the name of the Father. We want to grow into the image of the Son, and we want to go by the power of the Spirit. And I love this church, and one of the things that I love, we just finished a sermon series over the summer, United Living Our Faith, and we had some fantastic Uh, preachers and messages. From those of you from within this church, thank you very much for sharing the Word of God with us. And from all those that came outside, we're blessed, and I'm blessed to have a diversity of voices proclaim the same Word to us. Today, we're starting our annual series, The Word of the Lord. And so Brett and I, as is our practice, this is just as much of a practice for us as it is for you is that we want to follow um, the Revised Common Lectionary and preach the texts that are made available that many churches are hearing around the world today. They're hearing this and preaching the same text. And part of why we do that is that Brett and I, we get to choose the texts all the time to preach. In fact, that's one of our responsibilities. But we do this practice because this forces us Uh, to not choose the text. The text chooses us. And what it forces us to do is to say, what word does God have for, for all of us, these people? And that's a good practice that we carry in all the texts that we preach, and we want to keep practicing that. So as is our practice this morning. We're going to read here in a minute. Our text for today is Romans 9, 1 through 5. And at the end of that, at the end of that, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and I want to invite all of you to respond, thanks be to God. So Romans 9, 1 through 5 says this. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it is through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself was cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. For theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. For when we gather here this morning, we confess and believe that this is not my word. It is not our word. It is your word. And we also confess that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so God, as we pray, as we enter this time, hearing your word, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to follow. Give us bodies and lives that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. For it's through your son's name that we pray, your word to us, Jesus' name. I got in a fight with a baboon. No, I promise. I really did. No, I swear. I got in a fight with a baboon. Trust me. I know it's hard to believe, but I got in a fight with a baboon. We were taking some of our family. In fact, my, my mother and my, my two brothers on a safari. And as you enter the park, there's all these baboons. What we learned is that you could take a banana and throw it up on the hood and the baboons would jump up and eat the banana. So as I threw this banana up on, and we're watching the baboons up on the hood of my car, I had other bananas on the dashboard in front of the window. And then all of a sudden, the biggest male baboon jumps up on my side mirror as my window is down and reaches into the car. I promise, I'm not lying. And I got in a fight with a baboon. And here's what the, how the fight went. I'm not lying. And don't believe my brother who's sitting in the back. I beat that baboon. Do not believe him. He's going to try to tell you that the baboon won, but he did not. Have you ever shared something that's really happened or shared something about yourself an event where people said, no way, that didn't happen. There's no way. And you say, no, I swear, I promise, that happened. Or maybe it's something more tragic in your life where you share some bad news with someone. And their response is, no, you're lying, that can't be true. And no, I promise, it's true. Paul begins in Romans 9 by saying, I'm speaking the truth. And it's confirmed. The Spirit witnesses to this. And the thing that he's speaking the truth to, he says, I swear, I promise, I am telling you the truth, has to do with two things. One, probably most of what he said in chapters 1 through 8, the argument that he's been making. And then the other part is just his deep anguish that he feels that he begins talking about. From Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says this. This is the, the main point that Paul is trying to make in the first eight chapters and flesh out. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First, to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul doesn't say this directly, but this is where we get this phrase, and Christians proclaim this, that we proclaim every day, every week, every Sunday, we proclaim this, Jesus is Lord. Amen? And sometimes we take that for granted, that that's just normal. But I've talked about this before. That claim that Jesus is Lord and that he's Lord of all, that is a radical claim. For the first century world, it is a radical claim for Paul. Because if you think about it, in the first century... There is no God that is Lord over all. I've talked about this before. The Romans have their gods. The Babylonians have their gods. The Egyptians have their gods. The Assyrians have their gods. And all of the gods are local and national. And they have the interests of those particular people. So if a country, if you like read about in the Old Testament or an ancient, if, if two nations go to war, it's not just what's happening on the ground. This is a reflection of the gods battling. And Paul makes this claim, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For the righteousness of God is being revealed first to the Jew and then to everybody else. And this is what it means, Jesus Lord. The righteousness comes by faith in Jesus, not by, not by being Jewish, and not by keeping the law. This is, this is the argument that Paul is making that he says is true. And this is a pretty radical argument to make. It's a pretty, pretty profound statement. To make. It doesn't sound profound to us. It sounds like, oh, yeah, man, of course, that's what we believe. But only because that's been passed on to you. That's the faith that's been given you. This is kind of mind-blowing. It's great talked about what, not, what the law. You're messing with me now. You're not telling the truth. No, I'm telling you the truth. It's for everyone who believes, to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But you see, the problem, the problem is this. In Romans, and really throughout Scripture, much of the problem, this is not the only problem, but one of the big problems is idolatry. And in Romans chapter 1, he goes on to say, here's the Gentile's problem. The Gentiles' problem is that they should have known God by what they saw. They should have known God through God's creative power, but instead they worship created things instead of the creator. They made an image, and they worship those things. And so that's a real problem. 
And he lines that out in, in chapter 1 after he's given what he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He goes on to talk about these things. But then in chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says this. He makes this quick turn. And he says, you, talking to Jewish people, talking to God's people. He says, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is not based on truth. Is based on truth. Sorry. Let me say that again. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth, which is part of the point. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And you can't help but think, as soon as Paul says this, Jewish people, their response when he says, why do you judge? You do the same things. And their response is, ah, 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 no, 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 no. We didn't make any idols. You come look. There are no idols. There are no images. And that's probably true. I mean, but here's the problem. Paul says, yes, you do. And that's the truth. You do this. Because your problem is the same as the Gentiles in its idolatry. But your idolatry is not the worship of some statue made in the image of a human or a beast or something like that. Your problem is that you don't worship multiple gods. That's not your problem. Your problem is this. Your idolatry is that you worship a God who is not God. That's your problem. And what he means by that is to say the true God is the one who justifies and makes right all people through faith. And to worship a God who justifies only some people through the law is to worship a God who is not God. Israel's idolatry is to worship a local God, a national God, a Jewish God. As if God were not God over all people and all creation. And so this is how they are like other nations. Their God is local, national, there's the Jewish law, unless you're coming and be part of that. And he says, you do exactly like they do. You do the same things. You worship a God who's actually not God. Because the God you worship is not the God who makes everyone right through faith in Jesus Christ.
That raises a question for God's people today. How have we made God a local God? How have we made God a national God? Or in other words, how have we made God into our own image in a way that if someone else doesn't look like our image, whatever that may be, all of a sudden we've made God into a God who's not actually God. Because this is the gospel. Jesus is Lord of all through faith in him. That's what Paul says in Romans. Jesus is Lord of all through faith in him. Paul has great anguish about the Jewish response to Jesus. Because Jesus is good news for Israel. I mean, it should make sense. If it's going to make sense to anybody, it should make sense to his own people. For theirs is the privilege of adoption, he says, of the glory of They've been adopted. They've, they've seen the glory of coming out of Egypt, the covenants from Abraham to Moses to Noah to, to you start going to Moses. The law. They were the ones that were given the law. They were the ones that were given the worship, the priests and the instructions. They were the one given the promises. And it is through God's people Israel that the Messiah came. So if anybody should get it, Paul says it should be Jewish people. But you see that one of the things that Paul is probably contending with here is that his own people have said, see, Paul, you've left the faith. You've left your heritage. This is a problem. And Paul, he says, no, you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood your own heritage. And you've misunderstood me. Because Paul claims precisely that he is being true to his heritage and taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, I am actually being true to our heritage. And it's because Israel has misunderstood this that causes us such pain and anguish because it means that most of his fellow Jews are failing to live into who they are called to be. Yours is the adoption and the glory and the covenants. Yours is the law and the worship, the patriarchs. Jesus is for you. And so in Romans 9, 1 through 4, Paul makes this absolutely radical statement. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. Not only what I've been saying, but what I'm about to say to you. Now, I promise I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart over you, 
And this is the most radical thing. One of the most radical things I think Paul says. He says, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, those of my own race. The people of Israel. I was talking to a colleague of mine, a friend, this week about this text. I was like, what do you think Paul meant by that? Is that straightforward? And he said, it is kind of weird, isn't it? I said, yeah, but what do you mean? What do you mean it's weird? He goes, well, that he wishes that he could be cut off from Christ for the sake of others when Christ is supposed to be the most important thing to him. And I go, yeah, that's a good point. How could he be separated? Especially when literally just before, like the sentence and the idea just before Romans 9 and 8, chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says this. This is a very famous passage that you know well. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's just said, there's nothing that can separate. And then he goes on to say, I wish I could be separated for your sake. I think there's three things going on here. And I think part of this is that Paul, Paul is convinced of the power of the gospel. And that's why he can say this. That's why he makes this argument through the whole book of Romans. And he gets to chapter 9. And Paul says, I am so convinced of the power of the gospel. That its power is not having an identity that is rooted in a nationality. But it's rooted in Christ. That the power of the gospel, it changes our identity. And so he says, I wish I could be cut off from Christ. You're saying, I'm cut off from you. But I wish I could be cut off from Christ that you, you could know. Your identity could be found in Christ, not in your own Jewishness. Not in keeping the law. The power of the gospel has the ability to change your identity, my identity. Th- one of the things I think we learned from Paul is this. Your primary ni- identity is not your Jewishness, Paul says. That's not my primary identity, Paul says. But my primary identity is in Jesus. My primary identity is not how I perform in keeping the law, my primary identity is in the one who I'm high faith, Jesus Christ. So what I think it means for us today is that our primary identity is not in being Americans. It's just not. Our primary identity is not in our politics. As important as that may be to you, it's just not. It's not, our primary identity is not about being Republican or Democrat 
That's not our primary identity. Our primary identity is not about the state or region we live in, as proud as you may be of where you're from. Your primary identity is not in some ideology or in some cultural identity. It's not in some job or sport or sports team. All those categories. That is not your primary identity. The power of the gospel. The power to change our identity. And the second thing is this. The gospel actually changes our behavior as well. In fact, when Paul says this, I wish I could be cut off from Christ so that you could be united with Christ. I think Paul can say this because this is what the gospel actually does. It transforms you and gives you, you a different perspective on how you interact with the world and actually what you do. It's natural for all of us to do things in order to benefit ourselves. That's a natural thing. That what we do benefits us. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently to go do something that we're going to reap benefits from it. But this is the crazy thing in how the gospel transforms actually how Paul thinks and what he does. Is that he says, I give up all the benefits that you'll benefit. That's a radical claim. That's gospel transformation. So the question is, there are benefits to being a Christian. But I think for Paul to understand the gospel is not to be just to go receive benefits, but to be transformed into living in a certain way in the world. That's the power of the gospel. It changes our behavior. And the reason it changes is because he looks at Christ and he says, this is exactly what Christ has done for you. He didn't look at the benefits for himself, but he made himself nothing, as Paul says in Philippians. And he gave everything so that you might benefit. It's the power of salvation. It changes the way you see the world and live in it. This is why we say we're a church being transformed to the image of Christ. Transformed to that sacrificial nature. So that anyone can find their way to God. They have those benefits. That is something different than the world. And the third thing. The gospel changes our beliefs. Paul knows down deep. He knows that when he says, I wish that I could be cut off from Christ for your benefit. But Paul knows down deep that he cannot give his life for his own people to save them. There's only one that can do that. And he knows that the power of the gospel is this belief that only Jesus can do that. He says, I wish I could do that for you. But he didn't even answer his own question or his own, because he knows that not to be true. And the whole argument of the book of Romans is to say, this is what 
Christ does, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, then for everyone, including this room and beyond. Jesus is the gospel of God. That he gives himself for you and I. That the righteousness of God may be revealed in us. That he gives all of that for you and I so that we may live into the benefits of God's righteousness, goodness, life, peace. Paul is convinced of the gospel. And that gospel changes his identity, his behavior, what he believes. Do you believe in the gospel? Stand and sing.